Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who just wants to be friends with a crow. That's all he wants. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and honestly, yes, that is that would be <laughs> isn't that what we all want? Life goal. I uh, I don't need him to even like. I don't want to trap him in a pit. I don't want to <clears throat> force him to marry uh, or uh, or carry my messages or whatever. Uh, I just want I want a crow friend. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, a, a real crow. For, I mean, you know, obviously there's a sort of knock-on effect there because of the whole gr- crow vendetta thing. If you yeah. have a friend who's a crow, a crow who is a friend, uh, you're probably safe from most to all crows at that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is probably great, really. Um, right. you're, my, you know. you're my crow friend entrance into crow society. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Uh, over there for a dollar a month, you get access to a non-criterion film bonus episode, mostly non-criterion. We we fudged that a little. We picked one movie well. uh, that later became part of the Criterion collection, and a couple of our uh, a couple of our uh, things have been, uh, our polls have been movies that are just... Uh, in the Eclipse Collection. Well, in the Criterion Eclipse Collection, system. I assume, is some sort of staging ground for feeding by the Criterion Collection as a whole. And so Actually, eventually they will all It's almost devoured. like the, the Eclipse Collection is like the place where they put movies that they know they're never going to put in the Criterion Collection. Possible. So. But the weird thing is, is there's been, like, we've encountered a lot of very good movies in there where it's like, yeah. wait, why is this in the Criterion Absolutely. Collection? I don't understand. It's, it's the eclipse is a more streamlined release, so if there's if there's no bonus material, I think it goes into oh, the Oh, that collection. makes sense. Where they're like, we've got uh, nothing for this DVD, yeah. so though we've also seen Criterion films out. that have no bonus material, so you know it's right. The, I mean, the, the Criterion collection is super of the arbitrary. Yeah, it's super arbitrary. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very confusing. And then yeah. sometimes you get the Beasties Boys, the Beastie Boy Blu-ray, and you're just like, right. holy shit. And not only are there special features, but there's a remix function. It's, yeah, like and you've got this whole like interactive menu yeah, thing going it's the on. Greatest, it's like the a greatest game. DVD it's, ever made. Yeah, um, no, I I am have never once regretted buying that. Right. I mean, right. I did the day I bought it when I'm like, oh my god, I have to buy this thing. It's going to cost me fifty fucking dollars to do this episode. And then I got it, and I realized no best purchase of my life. This is very good. Very good. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm leaving this to my children and my will. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but yeah, patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We put up a poll every month. You vote on the movies we're going to watch. Uh, one choice every month is always Kazam, the 1996 children's film, because arbitrarily when we first made the list, I thought, let's put one dead, yeah. the same movie every time. What would be funny? Kazam. That'll be funny. Uh, and, and then, uh, and then little did we realize it's yeah. better than half the movies made in the nineties <laughs> for children. It is. It is better than a lot of the movies made. In the, it's not good by any means, but, but it's, it's better than, than a lot of them. Like yeah. very clearly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's uh, just how many we didn't want it. We didn't, we never wanted this to be a bad movie podcast. So no. we throw up a real eclectic mix over there. Sometimes it's very good movies like uh, Louis Molle's God's country or yeah, which is just amazing, which, is, which yeah. has become, 
uh, part of the Criterion Collection or or Lumet's uh, Dog Day Afternoon as well. We've talked about also amazing, there. yeah. Um, but but then often often we end up talking about things that are worse than because <laughs> they. Have... Yeah, I mean it's real hit or miss, and sometimes yeah. they're the worst movie that's ever been made by mankind. And right. Right. I think we'll probably be used by aliens at some point as evidence <laughs> that we should just be destroyed. I mean, honestly. I mean, listen. If I... they feel a need to have evidence, I'm saying. I'm not saying that they will, but if they do, they pretty much got all the proof they need right there. Understanding a movie as movie craft only. Yes, we've watched some of the worst stuff ever made. But I think if we introduce uh, a moral question into it, uh, there's certainly worse movies that we haven't watched and never will watch. But. I mean, but honestly, kicking and screaming, even from a moral perspective, it's not that great of a movie. It's pretty bad. So it's like if you combine that with bad movie craft, yeah. Like I mean, I, it may not be the worst movie ever made, but like, it's up there. It's, it's certainly the movie I there, least yeah. like to watch again ever. Yeah, no, life. I you couldn't make me. There's, yeah. I no, I would quit if you tried. <laughs> podcast would yeah. just end uh but yeah um patreon.com slash lost in criterion uh that's the one dollar mark at the five dollar mark we like to thank those people on air and thank you to chris ferrato who just started supporting us at five dollars and to adam speakerman who's been doing it for a while uh very happy to have both of you a little above that we do something that i think is pretty special pat makes a piece of visual art based on one of the movies we watched recently and i get that piece printed up on a postcard Write a little thank you note and mail that off. So if you like bespoke art or that is often uh, baffling personal messages written in an equally baffling uh, handwriting, because <laughs> I, I really I can't do it. Uh, I love them. I love them deeply. Let's yeah, be clear here. Yeah. The, there the is messages no on the back. There is no understanding on either side of the postcard. That's what my favorite just... part about them is really together they are an artistic whole. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, the yeah. the pictures I make are confusing. And baffling, but when you combine them with a person who just really needs to study calligraphy, actually, yeah. that's that's um, when it truly becomes Dada. That is, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like somebody, some mailman is carrying this around, just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and that's beautiful in and of itself. Yeah. Well, that is at our ten dollar and above mark, and we also like to thank those people on air. So, thank you to Michael McGrath and to Jason Westhaver for your continued support yes, at that level. You. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, as I said, patreon.com slash loss and criterion if you want to get in on that at any level, and we're happy to have you on at any level, but we're also just happy to have you listening. So, hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for People listening. who aren't being named in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Even even the people who aren't listening, thank you for being <laughs> oh, you. Right. Maybe we don't need to go that far. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I got a little out of hand. I'm <laughs> in a very good mood today. Uh this week we are continuing through the box set of three films by Hiroshi Teshigarahara. I put like whoa, eight extra that one got that out time. of hand. I was Woof. doing really well. I thought, yeah, you, then, like the last episode was basically <laughs> flawless, and then this episode you're like, I'm just going to add syllables. This doesn't feel like enough. Uh, uh, so this week we are continuing our box set of three films by Hiroshi Teshigarahara. Uh, good, good. <laughs> Sorry, now, I know you didn't feel like you needed to I've gotten to in my head about it now. I'm going to keep saying it wrong. Well, it's it's uh, me and the mouse, right? It's me not yeah. knowing which button on the mouse to press because my brain exploded. <laughs> absolutely. You get real, absolutely. Real, real deep inside yourself on these things. Yeah. Uh, last week we talked about Pitfall um, from uh, 1962, and this week is 1964's Woman in the Dunes. 
Uh, all the films in this box set, at least all the main films, I'm not sure about the shorts that we'll be talking about in two episodes uh, from now that are also included here. Uh, but all of the main films are collaborations with novelist, playwright, uh, Kobo Abe. Uh, so this is based on a 1962 novel by Abe, and Abe also uh, collaborated with the, with the screenwriting here as well. Uh, Woman in the Dunes plays with a lot of the same themes as Pitfall. Uh, next week's uh, The Face of Another will play with similar themes of identity, uh, and and I'm sure societal identity as part of it. Uh, but these are much, so far, have been very deep critiques of society at large. Uh, and Woman in the Dunes is perhaps the masterpiece of the three. Yeah, for uh, sure. Seems I say like that it. I say that without having seen Face of Another yet, but uh, well, I mean, yeah. you know, this one is generally regarded that way. It seems yes, the critical reception of this is uh, is far and wide. Um, everybody loves it. Hundred uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that really means anything ever. Uh, right. Yeah, the most important metric in the world. Yeah, yeah. What Rotten Tomatoes um, thinks about this super famous. Uh, yeah. Social commentary movie. This is on. This is on Tarkovsky's uh, top ten list, um, which I didn't it, even know he had. Right, right, right. So that's interesting to find out existed. <laughs> I wonder what else is on. Android yeah, I know. I was thinking the same thing when I read it. I was like, wait a minute. Now I need uh, to know. It's all Fellini films in this, <laughs> which is really confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, it's not – the article linked in that uh, – oh, here it is. Oh, yeah. no, this is a, this is a good 1972. list. 1972. I, I, yeah. The I, final I version of the list he made. Uh, Le Journal d'une Cure de uh, Campagne. I have no idea what that is. Uh, Winterlight. Um, Nazarene. Wild Strawberries. City Lights. Ugetsu. Monogatari. Uh, Seven Samurai. Persona. Mouchette. And Woman of the Dunes are his top ten. Yeah, no, yeah. And then, I mean, the one I'm looking at, I don't know. I don't. This must not be the last one, but Diary of a Country Priest was on there at the top. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's a list. I mean, he's not wrong, obviously. But, uh, yeah. Th- this is, uh, yeah, this is a, I'm reading a 1993 uh, Sight and Sound article referencing a 1972 interview. With right, and I'm reading yeah another, a similar an article about that 1972 interview. Yeah, so. yeah. So I don't know, I don't know how uh, Diary of a Country Priest made it on your list. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm just why there's website. why there's a discrepancy a between the lists. I don't understand. I but, don't know either. Yeah, uh, but yeah, <laughs> Mouchette's number nine. Mouchette just above the <laughs> woman in the dunes. I yeah. <laughs> don't know if I agree with that one, Tarkov. I mean, but. I don't know. I we don't know if the. Numbers are tricky in the sense that right. he may or may not have actually been trying to rank them. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, but yeah. Also, uh, you know, Roger Ebert loves this movie. Uh, plenty, plenty of people who are well respected in uh, in film criticism really love this movie. Right. Uh, but also keep in mind that a person who's also very well respected in film criticism, specifically about Japanese film, seems to have missed a fucking point. <laughs> Pat there makes reference to uh, 
Audie Box uh, essay for the Criterion Collection. Uh, where uh, I actually went and looked her up because I was just kind of yeah. curious, like what the what the sort of uh, the deal was. Yeah, and I mean, she wrote books about Japanese film. I mean, it's not like you know, um, yeah. and yeah, it's just I I just think she missed the point. I just I do. I think yeah. probably yeah. it's one of those cases of I'm too deep in this quagmire to realize it's about this quagmire. Right. Right. So I have now, to other it and make it about Japanese culture specifically rather than about sort of general societal commentary. I mean, that's that's possible. Maybe we are so deep in the general societal commentary quagmire that we can't there's, see anything okay, outside. There's of no fucking way this movie is not about that. There's it's it's fucking impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I. I think I think if I understand your your complaints specifically are that uh, Bach seems to try to uh, try to make this only about Japanese society and not exactly not that is my issue is that this yeah. Bach tries to relate it to a phenomenon that is present in Japanese society and and talks about identity but the problem what I to me what I see is the main problem is that she doesn't seem to be connecting the fact that that identity and the way you construct your identity is exist in a social construct that this movie's actually about. Yeah. Yeah. That when a person complains about having to have a bunch of fucking forms of ID while living in a context of a society, they're not talking about the IDs. Right. They're talking about the society that makes them have them. Right. And then that and that that's not a, a uniquely Japanese experience. No. No. It's well, it's, it's it's parasite, right? Like it's the commentary right. on parasite that we all live in a country called <laughs> capitalism. Right. 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 Yeah, and that's right. <laughs> yeah, the the idea of yeah, we'll that'll be the episode. So we'll get into it. Um, but yeah, as I said, this is from 1964. Uh, it's uh, I believe it was this one that got a uh, got a nomination yeah. for the Academy Award for Best Picture. I'm pretty yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I read that. Yeah, um, or Best Director. Sorry, uh, it uh, and was nominated for best uh, foreign language Oscar. Um, which, which, when you really start to think about it, that's a whole other problem, right? Is that like what? There's no way this wasn't like the best film made that year, right? 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 On Earth, and, like, and, let's be clear here. Yeah, there are there are a lot of. Uh, complaints from uh from people who we shouldn't listen to anyway about parasite winning actual best picture this year instead of some sort of best foreign language film uh though recently the baftas and the oscars have both renamed foreign language films or foreign film categories uh i believe the baftas have such a wordy thing if i remember correctly it's like best film in a language that is not english or something to that regard right um uh but to try to stop uh so my fair lady swept the oscars that year yeah (laughs) so i'm just gonna throw that out there okay did did my fair lady also win best foreign language film no 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 sorry (laughs) because i I think you could make a contextual argument you could make an argument for that yes that is true um, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, a Italian yeah. film won. Yeah. yeah, this plays with a lot of similar themes to Pitfall that we watched last week, uh, but really ratchets them up uh, to a much more simplistic story. This is uh, is 
by and large, for most of its uh, over two-hour runtime, this is a two-person film. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's essentially a, like, a, what is it called? A, a drawing room drama. Yeah. Yes. But, right. yeah, much more even, intense than one of those would be. Yeah, even for a good third of that bit, it is a one-person film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and it is a lot of monologuing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, basic plot structure, uh, since we did it for Pitfall, we might as well do it here, too. Uh, a guy who uh, is on vacation hunting bugs on a beach uh, misses his bus, and the town's like, oh, you can just stay here tonight. We've got a perfect place for you. And lower him into a pit where there's a house. And then uh, in the morning when he wakes up, refuse to lower the ladder again and say, uh, you're, uh, you're her husband now. <laughs> Go about your day. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, the woman in question in the dunes, who doesn't even get a character name through the entire movie, one of our nope. two only only characters, uh, she uh, it is her job to collect sand that the city then sells uh, well, to the, the build town, concrete. The, the 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 village or whatever. The it village, is. yes, yes, not the city. It implies a much larger structure, but uh, but the village uh, then sells to make concrete. Uh, under the table because it is a high salt content sand that should not legally be sold to make concrete uh, as they are because yeah because we live in society. Um, well, the the fast the uh, a fascinating thing that we're getting about uh, a, a fascinating element of these films, the last one and this one is they are very much they are their their themes are universal, but they are very much of a time when yeah. they are made. Yeah. They're about a thing that would happen at the time that, that is conceivable at a very specific time in Japanese history, mm-hmm. which is another fascinating sort of element of them. Like the previous film, that sort of union boss battling thing is a, is a feels very ripped from the headlines because it is a sort of thing you would read about in early sixties, late fifties Japan at that. You know what I mean? Like, you would not read a headline like that today because that the, the society is transformed considerably away from even to the point of unions basically being non-existent, not important modern Japanese society. Right. Like the themes are relevant, but not well, the, the, the situation. I don't know about Japanese society, but while, while unions have been made to be viewed as less important in American society, they actually are just as important. They've, the uh, the propaganda's just won out. No, I mean what I what I I mean we could get into a lesson from my class if we want to, but yeah. the way Japan's laws have manipulated unions and and changed them have made them hyper ineffectual in their ability to actually yeah. negotiate on behalf of workers. Right, right. Uh, they've been they've been America's defanged in a very different way than the way they've been in America. They've been defanged by tricking people into not joining them, essentially, yeah. slash punishing people when they are. In Japan, they've been defanged by, by, what what are called, uh, I forget what they're. Oh shit! The the word just left my brain. Um, shit. Uh, they're unions that only represent a single company, mm-hmm. and like you don't get a lot of cross company unions. Right. So you don't. So the bargaining. Have the, so it's not useful in any way. Yeah. They have almost no bargaining power because they're not. It's not a automobile workers union. It's a. It's right. the worker automobile workers at this Mitsubishi plant. Right. Union. Mass mass union uh 
solidarity between unions is uh, it doesn't is is borderline non has become borderline right. non-existent. Is, so is a big important part of the uh, power right. of a union. So, uh, yeah. Um, whereas Pitfall very much dealt with unions, this one's so sort of individualized to uh, to individualize is the wrong thing too because it's it's universal in its individualization right these right. are these characters are archetypes uh that represent broad society instead of individuals even though we are dealing with individual characters right and and then and it's individual in the sense also on per in a very purposeful way because the the sort of the titular workers are isolated to the extent from right. each other to the point where like they literally can't do anything they're they've been deprived of their power to negotiate their existence right. at all right right so so deprived of the power to negotiate their existence that uh they are just thrown together into relationships and situations and living arrangements that they have no power over as right well. and they don't and they don't have any ability to communicate with anybody outside of their little pit right so they have no ability to to manipulate the system in that way at all right and, um, and the yes the system <laughs> That's the other thing, right? The the system that is imprisoning them is itself invisible to them by and right. large. Occasionally it interacts and occasionally it throws them a little prize well, or a little but, punishment. And the, the, but, the funny thing that we were, the, one of the things I was really couldn't wait to get into with this episode was the fact that we we even understand, it's not a thing we talk about a lot in this film, but even the next step up on the system is also part of a group of the system that's still just eating itself. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. So we, we, we are dealing primarily with literally the lowest person on in the system right? who is being destroyed and devoured by the, the tier above it. Yeah, but the tier above it is being destroyed it is and devoured. Also very clearly being destroyed. It. I mean, it's made explicit yeah. to us why they're doing what they're doing. Right. And what's the reason they're doing it is because of the next further up that system putting them in a position where they feel like they have to do this. Right. Again, inducing them to destroy each other and themselves. Yes. Um, I don't... I, that's the thing. We both read the essay this week, and it's... I don't want to get too much into just... <laughs> you don't want to do an essay rebuttal? I don't yeah, want to do was an a, essay rebuttal. That is but a thing we have done at least there's once. There's so but. many minor things in the essay that I feel need pushed back against a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. Like, like uh, she talks about the villagers in terms of the collective. And just the terminology she uses uh, suggests that she views Japanese as, uh, or, sorry, is that she views Japan in her, in her, national individualization of the message here is that she's viewing Japan as a sort of communist police state almost uh, in perpetuity through history and the future. Right. It's a very, her view, I don't, like this essay, is this essay actually from 2007? I don't know when it was. Or is that was just when it was published on Craig? The reason I ask is I can't nail down a time period for this essay in terms of the way the author talks about the movie and like Japan, it feels like it's kind of an essay out of time. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, but not in like the good way where it's like eternal in the bad way where it's like, it doesn't, 
like literally this person doesn't own a calendar and doesn't know what year it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I mean, you, the, you the could describe in a very loose way. What I told you on, on our chat was this is a very, very specific reading of Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. And of course, she, she's in a viewing, lot of stereotypes. But. She's viewing Japanese history through a very specific lens. Uh, and and that is the narrative she wants to tell. So so it makes sense the evidence she's presenting, right? And I can't fault her for that because that's how, always how everyone views history, right? Right. <laughs> Whatever story you're trying to tell, you're gonna you're gonna do true, that, so. true. But I uh, mean, there's a, but you know, different readings require further, like more or less extensive like back right, right, to make them work. And this more one nuance. feels like it is requiring an extensive level. Of of manipulation to get it to fit, specifically right. a manipu- manipulation of time and the nature of time. Um, the one that bothers me is specifically the statement that bothered me the most was an island that was unified only by a police state that required a passport to travel from one region to another for nearly three hundred years. This is technically accurate, <laughs> yes, but also super irrelevant. <laughs> Because the yeah. 300 years you're talking about is 300 years that has no bearing on no 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 bearing on the current state of people's lives in the country beyond what any history has on you know people's current lives in the sense that yeah I mean of course there's probably some leftover there are definitely leftover effects but like well first of all describing <laughs> describing the Edo era as a police state is again technically accurate but i've never seen a historian do it ever because we have better words for it you know what i mean like there are better words exist that phrase in the modern lexicon says things about that 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 just aren't aren't true true. of more historical dictatorships and and you um, can in authoritarian states i think the word police the phrase police state gets bandied about in a way to uh to imply it is a negative thing right uh but it it yeah like you call america a police state but you only ever do it to get an emotional response of the person you're arguing against right right and i think that's uh, i don't feel like she's using any sort of intellectual understanding of police state here that's meaningful uh but it's also weird the essay, it's weird to use it as as an emotional response here, too. Right. right? Well, I mean, it, it's trying to evoke an emotion about it. But, like, you know, there's a reason why historians also don't pull out police state for generally for historical right. arrangements because it is very much a modern concept. Yeah. Like, describing the Edo era Japan as a police state is a is a weird thing to do. Authoritarian. Yes, yeah, but that's different than a police state, and I, that that one, I, and, and I, maybe I, you know, I, maybe she's just using police state to mean authoritarian, and that makes sense too. But it's possible, but again, yeah. But I mean, it conjures a very specific image that, like, just doesn't entire, work for the entire for. structure of her history of Japan. There is going for a very unnuanced view, right? And, and then, and, it, and it goes on to describe things that are that are that are phenomenon in Japan that have been recorded by. Jap- both Japanese and uh, Western uh, sort of, Jap- you know, people who 
you know, talk about Japan and stuff. But they are they are not what one would consider, especially in two thousand in two thousand seven, as standard parts of Japanese society really anymore. Yeah. So they're also very outdated references, which is which makes it harder, right? Because if this essay was published thirty years ago, right, right, and that's another thing. It she makes a little more movie, sense. She is talking about the movie in its time frame itself, right? So, well, right, so but talking it, about but a they're not film. They make sense, but she still. Uh, both you and I, in reading that, got a feeling of trying to universalize that through Japan right. throughout and then, time. And, and even the things she's talking about are phenomenon that have been recorded and are known and exist, but are still like it's a classic case of taking a thing that is an interesting or or confusing or uh, difficult phenomenon in another country and universalizing it across the entire country. The things she's describing are not necessarily things that were ever fully universal to Japan Japanese society as a whole. They were things that were phenomenon that existed. Specifically, the one about marriage, detective it's detective agencies and stuff like that, um, is very much a rich people phenomenon that is even gone even further by the wayside. But even in the nineteen seventies, was common pretty much only among the very very wealthy. Yeah, and, and 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 was not a common practice among your your average Joes and stuff like that. Uh, and then the police visit thing, I don't. I, Again, it's a phenomenon that people talk about and record, but is not understood the way that she's understanding it as a police state phenomenon, but rather as a group collective safety phenomenon. That's the way, and I and I and I have to talk about this at work. Like it's a right. thing I have to teach about every year, and and discussing the fact that a, a thing that one of the books I use refers to pretty insightfully as. Uh, calls it friendly or uh, friendly authoritarianism <laughs> the idea that you can make a society that that is fundamentally authoritarian but feels like it's doing it for your own good and feels yes yeah. friendly and and gentle about it and you know people report that they believe the policeman visits make them safer very a very low percentage of japanese people report feeling like that is an authoritarian behavior right. It, it is fundamentally it actually is but it doesn't feel that way so and so you know it's a weird thing so i think our our problem with bach is a sort of lack of nuance but at the same yeah. time uh you know friendly authoritarianism is still authoritarianism and this is it is absolutely pushing back against authoritarianism but all but also the movie i don't think the movie is that much actually about authoritarianism yeah the movie is about not in the sense, not in our classical understanding of authoritarianism. The idea that that a that a hierarchical capitalist society is its is in its is naturally authoritarianism. Yeah, but I don't think that this movie is specifically decrying authoritarianism that much. Yeah, because we we know the impetus that everybody's operating under here. In the sense that, like, and it's not an impetus based on a single or, you know, a structure or authoritarian structure telling people what they want, what they want, and forcing them to give it to them. Like, the people the, the people who are at the top of the hole are making demands 
for what they want. And they, they I guess, fit into sort of a, an, a sort of petite authoritarianism. Right. But they, the things that's driving them is not authoritarianism. The thing that's driving them is capitalism and the need to right. get sand out so they can get food back, basically. And, yes, and being the further victims of that. And that's where my, my final sort of pushback on the uh, the essay come into play is uh, in the last paragraph, she describes the end of the film. As the man has become involved with other people as never before, he cares most about sharing his new scientific knowledge with the very villagers who have enslaved him. And that is not how it's framed in the movie. No. He explicitly says that this new scientific knowledge, the discovery of potable water, is his ticket out of there. And yeah, it's a ticket that he decides not to use and has resolved to (laughs) to live in the place he's lived. Uh, But it is not that he's only interested in sharing it with the villagers out of some sort of love of the villagers. He is (laughs) he explicitly says he will hold on to this knowledge himself until it is time for him to use it to escape. He's well, not even interested see, in sharing it right. with the villagers until until he's ready for it to until be it currency. has a purpose that lets him right. escape. Yeah, like until you can use his currency, and that's the thing, right? Is like I I I found that element really fascinating when you get into the idea that like in a society where like the society does does its damnedest to sort of deprive you of your sense of of existence and self uh, outside the system. There's that sort of tendency to hold on to these little things as being in and of themselves powerful. Right. Like, and and how we, like, do things like, you know, w- you know, we the lower people, you know, the, we're f- far enough down the totem pole that we hoard our meager amounts of money. Right, right. And our meager amounts of power. The amount of... Uh, yeah, well, which, which, are, of... which are analogous, right? Like, yeah. power and money in this society are essentially fundamentally the right. same functioning item. Right. The amount of they cog workers, cog workers I've experienced in my life who will say something and firmly believe that this place would fall apart without me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's, and that 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 feeling, right? That 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 the feeling that you because you want people want to feel important, right? But also, even going on, like he's hoarding this as a form of currency, as though, right? right. Like, you know, oh, I'm going to hoard this money while I work a toil away in this nightmare, so that I can use it someday to get what I want, right? But like that, we all know that that road, by and large, leads to you hoarding it until the system takes it from you by force in some manner. Right. Or you run out of time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you 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 hoard this wealth and then, you know, oh, well now, you know, some something happens, for example, an emergency and now you have to use it and so right. Right. here you are, like the system has found a way to get it back out of you because that's what the system's set up to do. Yes. Or you somehow do manage to hold on to it at the sacrifice of your own happiness, and then you die without using it. Right. Like, you know. And that's, you know, that's... I mean, that's, that's what's going to happen to this guy. This guy's going to die without using that it. That is ultimately the message of this movie for, for both our main characters, is uh, is you, you've forgone your own happiness for such a long time that you believe yourself to be happy now in the situation right. you're in. Uh, and you're going to die without ever actually exercising that freedom 
I also think it's interesting that uh, that our main character, and I think that the essay may actually point this out, and and it's therefore a, a good thing it points out. Uh, no one comes looking for him either, right? Yeah, no. So he already yeah. he already believes himself to be important enough to be missed when he is not important enough to be missed. Uh, well, right, and and that's a kind of fascinating thing about the the movie because, like, what well, you know. The idea that like nobody around you is actually important enough that you're gonna go hunt, but, you know, but hunting for them. That's because of the system too, right? Right. You Absolutely. Know, think of think of coworkers who have left your job, and uh, maybe you were friends while they were there. Well, maybe you weren't. Right. But how many do you really hang on to moving to another job? Uh, and uh, you know, do certainly certainly it exists, you know. People do remain friends with with workers, uh, people who they worked with in the Speak past. Speak for yourself. I'd, okay, maybe Pat has no examples of that. Uh, I do but, not. But, but by and large, I think if someone leaves the company you're working for, you don't spend a lot yeah, of you don't you don't stay in energy touch. thinking uh, about them in the future. Um, even if they <laughs> even if they well, disappear and, and under, I, I I think you know teaching maybe is a different thing but in the food service industry that I've worked in for 10 years uh somebody who mysteriously disappears after 2 weeks of work <laughs> is a pretty common occurrence actually it is so, a little bit more of yeah. a of a rare thing in my profession yeah. uh but people do leave a lot like you'll be we'll be a coworker with a person for a year or two yeah. and then yeah. they find another job and they move on they very rarely disappear um the thing I was thinking about is I know some people who do. Uh, I have met over my life people who have become – and I think a lot of it has to do with how old you are yeah, and, and, and your sort of situation in the sort of making friends universe of your life, like what stage of that you're in. Because I, I have wor- worked with slash known slash been f- uh, uh, the teacher of people who are in their early 20s. Who are still in the very much that I'm making my permanent friends phase of their lives. Yeah, yeah. Who have like become permanent, like very clearly became permanent friends with their coworkers. Right. Which is not a thing I really know, but like now you never know. I mean, I'm gonna. They haven't, you know, a decent, they haven't been trampled down enough from society to realize. Well, kind that these of, I think that's a bit of it. And yeah, you I care think about so. Them. No. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's no, and that's that's actually, um, in all seriousness, I think you're accurate in that. The coworkers who I retained friendships with were people I met in my early and mid twenties, whereas right. people I meet today are much less likely to be. Yeah, you're just jaded at this point because like, oh, I'm going to become friends with a person I probably won't see again two years right. from now. Right, and even it's it's no hard. Matter, it's hard to do. No matter how much I enjoy their company at work. I'm not hanging out with them outside of work all that much. Well, and the, and that's, you know, we, we you mentioned it briefly, but you talked about the fact that, like, we exist in a system where we get thrown into the hole and just whoever's down there is your right. new friend. Those are your friends. Like, essentially, like, right. you yeah. know, and that's a weird way to live, right? Like, because, like, it's because of work, right? Like, yeah. in your normal life, you, w- you know, in a life where that's not the case anymore, you would probably form relationships in a really dramatically different way. Right. Right. Uh, and and it, this is a relatively new form of acquaintance slash friendship creation, right? When you think over history, right? Like, you're much more likely, prior to sort of the Industrial Revolution, right, you would be acquaintances slash friends with the people who lived 
in your vicinity because you live there your whole life and they live there their whole life probably as well. And that's your social network is very organic in that situation, right? Like it spreads regionally out from you and your position in space. Whereas as soon as you get into the modern working world, you get chucked into the hole, which may or may not be geographically and in any way related to where you actually live. And like, ah, these people in the hole with you, they are your new friends. That is, Do good work together. Yeah. That is why I liked so much your uh, your description in the introduction of uh, attempts to make a new crow friend because he is yes, attempting yeah. to do to a crow the same thing that has been right, done absolutely. to him. Absolutely, yeah. No, the, the crow is trying to create pit. something new. Yeah. yeah, he's trying to create a new some something lower on the right. on the right. on the rungs than him. He fails because the crow's too fucking smart, <laughs> right? To get fucking pulled into a hole. Yeah. But he tries to make something lower on the on the ladder, and it fails. Uh, uh, I know crows don't practice communism. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure crows practice communism. <laughs> well, it's still, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, uh, chromunism. <laughs> no, no it's, end of podcast. Know, crows, crows have individual like tribes, so it's still it's you know, even even if there's well, a common it's not sharing universal, of resources that's true, between. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, we, I mean, we can't ask too much from our yes. from our feathered friends. <laughs> yes. To solve all of our problems, I'm not saying we us. should restructure our society based on <laughs> uh, based on crow. <laughs> we now uh, are crow. So we base all of our societal judgments on crow life. Yeah, uh, but but we're very angry <laughs> and we eat trash. And well, actually, it's all pretty accurate. So you far. maybe make a good point to say that the crow is too smart to be caught in this trap. Kind of think so. What I'm meaning to say. Uh, whereas, whereas our general humanity are not are not too smart to be caught in this trap, and that is yeah, less. Uh, you know, our our main character here, he is perhaps too trusting. And that's what leads him to be caught in the trap. But I don't. I don't want to suggest that the lesson of this movie is don't trust. Is, is don't anyone. trust people. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but well, uh, we get into that classic thing, right? Is that there's tiers of lessons with right. everything, right? Like you get into this in a lot. Like Twitter is nonstop tiers of lessons, right? Yeah. Where it's like you can get the basic lesson, which is don't trust people who might throw you in a fucking hole. <laughs> yeah. But the but that's that's the wrong lesson. It's just you can't the go around assuming lesson. everyone's going to throw you into a hole. So. Right. The real lesson is don't create a society where people feel like they need to fucking throw you in a hole. <laughs> right, right. Right. To survive, like right. where they have to they have to consume you to survive. Like, don't do that. Don't be in that society. I mean, obviously that's a harder lesson. People don't want to learn because that one requires you to do something actively about the world around you rather than just walking around being suspect of everybody who might throw you in a hole. Right, right, right. You can't, that's not a functioning society. Either. And to be fair, he just moved from one hole to another. He right. had a job before. Right, and that's the... It was the, a different fucking hole, but it was the, still a hole. That is the, the super point of this right, movie. Right, absolutely, yeah. And exactly. the reality of the matter is, is nobody in his old hole came looking for him because yeah. it was just another fucking hole. Right. All your All your jobs are holes. Uh, because because we are a society full of holes. Well, uh, I guess I know what of, a postcard is going yeah. to be at some time in the future. <laughs> you, can't, you can't just mail a hole, Pat. It's Can it's, I not, though? Can I not I can... just draw a circle on a page and be like, all your jobs are holes? <laughs> I mean, that one's easy enough. I was thinking of how I'm going to put a stamp on a physical hole and put it oh, in. Oh, well, I mean, we can figure I mean, 
3D printing? I don't know. <laughs> Somehow. Uh, probably. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this is the point of this, of all of this, is that all of our positions in society, as long as we are not on top, uh, are that we are at bottom, uh, probably. And that I uh, mean, we, you know, uh, there's that we form associations based on those people who are also at the bottom with us, as you've already said about how we make friends at work. Uh, and those associations are deemed happiness because they are relative. This is a very nihilistic <laughs> reading of society, but yeah, thank you, uh, thank you for going super yeah, dark on us here. But I'm but glad those, that's where know, we are right now. We we eventually accept those as the best that can be done because they are the best that can be done under the circumstances. But the circumstances are what needs to be changed, right? Right. Yeah, um, I mean, we and and it's interesting. The one sort of the the sort of. I guess I would describe it as what makes me upset about this movie. I think there's a lot to be upset about. Um, is the fact that it creates a scenario where this this structure is uh, is fun is is there is no path for fixing it. You know what I mean? Like there is no it, just because it's a metaphor, right? Like, and that's the problem with metaphors, right? They they always have to simplify some element of the thing they're trying to represent in order to, to make it consumable, right? Yeah. Is that, like, there's no actual method by which he could work against the system to fix it or or change it to make it more equitable. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't possess that, and the structure is set up in such a way where it's actually impossible for him to work towards creating that. Right. And the only person he's been put with is disinterested in helping him change that as well. Well, because, that part might be accurate because she's already succumbed to this being. Right. The way I mean, that thought. part. That part is and true. That right. Is I mean, how, we end up in holes where, where, the people around us have already said to themselves, "This is as good as it's going to get. This is the right. ideal system. We're right. already in the ideal system." Um, we all are surrounded by that all the Even time. Even if especially the ideal system as, is actively killing them, they right, they can't right, imagine. Exactly. A better system, right? And, and or that and it's possible reality, to implement a better system, right? The reality is, is that one of the greatest things that modern society does to us, I guess I use greatest in the in the yeah. non-judgmental sense, the greatest trick the devil ever played, sort right? Of greatest, is, it, yes, yes, yeah, is convincing us that imagination is bad, yeah, that, that having the, the that thinking of something else is a bad thing to do. Right, that you shouldn't do it anymore, and and we get it in really fucked up ways, like the modern American healthcare system, where it's like we even even despite evidence existing all around us that preferable systems could exist. Yeah, nope. I just I lack the imagination to see how that could come to pass. Is a is a fascinating like to truly denying the this you know the evidence of your own eyes and ears, right? Right. But um, I I mean. We see it in American foreign policy too, where where right. uh, you know if if we have a enemy or perceived enemy, uh, some general or politician is going to say, "Well, all options are on the table, and all options on the table always means nuclear weapons, but never means giving them all food." Just right, yeah, or even just not doing undermining their at society all. by giving them all food. <laughs> right, just or just yeah, exactly, like a million, I. Well, I mean, we get then we start getting into a discussion of like the concept of hearts and minds and just how right, right. how you, how you mentally get to that point 
to me is still one of the most fascinating things I've ever had to think about as a person is like how you get to the point where your your plan is I'm going to blow their shit up so that they have to rely on me. Right, right. And that's actually as the easiest way to make people happy and like like you. Yeah. Like, so really? um oh. Terrence Terrence Malick's latest film, A Hidden Life, uh is about uh Franz Jagerstadter who was a conscientious objector in Austria during World War II. And he has now been, uh, I believe, sainted by the Catholic Church. Uh, But he was a Catholic who refused to fight for Hitler's army. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, And in his writings, one of the reasons that it's revealed that he believes that this war is not a just war. He's not against war. He is against this war because he does not think this war is a just war. And one of the things he says about just war is in reference to the invasion of Russia. He says, uh, if this were a just war, we could just as easily give them resources. If, if the Bolsheviks are bad because of the structure of their society, then we should be undermining the structure of their society. But instead, what we're doing is going and killing a bunch of them and stealing their farmland for our own use. That's not, <laughs> that's not how you undermine a society. That's just destroying the society. <laughs> So. Or, or in the case, especially of those kind of the sort of societies that those are resisting, right, are trying to to undermine theoretically, right. In fact, possibly bolstering, right, right. their stance, right, and which is these people, these fuckers are going to steal your shit if you don't. <laughs> yeah, and that's like, exactly you know what I'm saying. We're becoming <laughs> right. the enemies, right? You know, that's yeah. And he talks about you know missionary work, and he says he says you know the the missionary work that goes and just has a meal um, and and feeds people uh, is a lot more effective than the guy who just goes and preaches, uh, and particularly much more effective than the guy who goes and shoots you if you don't believe. Right, uh, which is, bit, you know, is a is a tried and true form of missionary work. Also, also accurate. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I think, thinking about uh, this film broadly, you know, it, it bookends uh, with, uh, we start with that conversation about, uh, IDs and yeah. documents and uh, you know uh, licenses, and we end with the superimposition of the police report that says our main character has been missing for seven years. Right, uh, and in that regard, it is less to me about the authoritarianism of a police state and more uh, like Brazil about the uh, sort of inevitable authoritarianism of bureaucracy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I think so, but I... Or of unchecked I, bureaucracy, of inhuman right. bureaucracy, bureaucracy, because yeah. any any government structure needs bureaucracy. And I, I mean, yeah, if you want a thing to work, right, you <laughs> right, eventually have right. to, like, and make if, a structure for it. And but, if we want yeah. everybody to have good things, we need that interconnected, stru- overarching structure, right? Uh, and, you know, as, as much right. as I have been an anarchist in the past, I recognize that if we want universal health care, we actually have to have a government that's... Yeah, you're not going to get that... Right. Right. Like by just having everybody just do whatever they want or something <laughs> right. like that, right? right? But like, I mean, my issue with that is, is I, I honestly think to a certain extent, I, I developed this opinion over the course of the movie. I think the ID thing is to a certain extent a red herring. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not that it's wrong, but it's 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 meant to make you. I, I think it's very easy to get caught up in it as an important element of the movie, whereas I think what it's trying to do is to really just tell you that this person is fully integrated into the society and that all those documents and things don't actually mean anything. Yeah. 
that they that they are they are they are tools used by society to do things like keep track of you and things like that and 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 right. but they don't in terms of human existence they don't really actually right. mean anything they don't and your possession of those documents doesn't actually mean you're a part of the society right they're just your one of the tools you have for accessing it and the last document of our main character's life is completely meaningless. It's a police report right. that it's says just, he's been it's, missing yes, for seven yeah, exactly. years. No one's been looking right, totally. for him for seven years. They would have found him. He's been missing, yeah. <laughs> like, and, yeah. And, and that's where I got into a bit of a, I got a little bit annoyed with the article, is that it digs into a phenomenon that does exist and has existed and continues to exist in Japan, which is people dropping out of society. Um, it happens. And, and, a lot of, and, and it's very easy to read into it, and it's fairly... On a relative scale, it's hard to judge whether it's more or less common here than in other countries because Japan, as previously stated, in its friendly authoritarianism keeps very close tabs on the people in Japan. Like, yeah. So when one disappears, it's really obvious. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Like, if if you if you had to fill out a bunch of forms that say where you live basically all the time. And and those, and then you don't live there anymore, and no new ones appear. That's a really obvious paper trail that you disappeared. You know what I mean? Does it make sense? Yeah. I, it, whereas a lot of other countries, especially the country we come from, people can disappear from the system much more easily without actually physically disappearing. Right. And because the system is even to a certain extent even more, uh, I'm I'm trying to think of like even more at a distance in its concern for whether or not you still exist or not. Right, right. And that's where, where I maybe want to introduce even more nuance to uh, this film world. It's a system that keeps track of you because it cares about you is good. <laughs> right. We can we can use that power for, for good, uh, but it cannot be used for authoritative, authoritative purposes and be good. Right. And, uh, and, and and right. And a lot of people, at least in Japan, work pretty hard to try to harness that system right. to make it work for good rather than authoritarianism. If we care for each uh, other and the system tells us that our neighbor has disappeared and the system is us. Oh, right. So we can go find our neighbor. That is that is good. You know, right. And a daily a daily checking in on your neighbors is uh is an aspect of that. Now, outsourcing that to a police force is maybe not the best thing, but uh, but is also right. the ideal of small town America in the '60s, uh, right? right. Like, and and, like and it's still Mayberry's one that is about. So, right. <laughs> well, and it, it gets complicated again because again, if you want a thing to happen universally, structures are important to making it happen universally. Right. So it has to be right? somebody's job to do it, and as long as that right. somebody it, is trained, doesn't in carry a gun what you around. Want to do, yeah. <laughs> And yeah. not trained explicitly to do the thing you don't want them to do. That's right. good. And, and see, <laughs> and that's where it gets really complicated when you deal like with different societies and different norms and things like that, right? Like that that seven year disappearance police support is meaningless paperwork, but it also does tell you something, which is they know he's not there anymore. Right. Like and what it what it also tells you is that any. <sighs> Any view in 1964 of this as happy face authoritarianism is a lie, too. Yeah. Because the system may claim it cares about you, and the paperwork may suggest it cares about you. 
but there's no boots on the ground caring about you. Well, and and it's important. Like friendly authoritarianism mostly is is mostly about preferring the carrot over the stick. Yeah, is is what it really amounts to. If you really simplify it out, is preferring to induce people to do what the government and the society wants them to do via the carrot rather than the stick. Not. Definitely the stick still exists and gets used. It's just preferring the carrot over the stick, which is not necessarily a better thing. Uh, My my point was, is like, for example, we we talk about people disappearing. A phenomenon that was discovered not that long ago, in the time period I've been here, was that elderly people were passing away and nobody was noticing. Yeah. That they were still receiving pension checks and some people were committing pension fraud by collecting those checks even though their elderly uh family member had passed right. away and but, the but th- and the check the check on whether or not people were alive was only whether or not the check was getting cashed <laughs> so right no one and, caught and off. so and yeah. and and that caused a lot of sort of societal introspection when it was discovered i mean it was the the the, the sort of to a certain extent the pension check was what set it off yeah but it, it also brought up a point that some groups have been collecting data about the fact that people were dying, passing away without any notice, without anybody noticing or making a point about it, even without the sort of pension check situation. Like, that, like this was becoming a problem, that people were passing away in their homes right. and not being discovered for a very long time. And so there's been a lot of conversation since then about how do we build a society that actually notices when people right. Right. have the passed answer, away, which doesn't sound then, significant. Oh, go ahead. The sorry. answer can't be put cameras in all the old people's homes. Uh, which has not been what they've talked about. The, yeah. the talk has been about but, the same thing but, that they do, that they've been trying to implement with children here, which is because we've had another, also a problem with parents abusing their children and, and children being killed and things like that has been... Yeah. It's it's an issue more in the sort of newspaper sense and the extent, extent that it's not I get you there that widespread, but when it does happen, it becomes really big fucking news. Um, and and again, trying to come up with a system that where because unlike sort of the inclinations of the United States, Japanese people do would prefer a lot of times would prefer the system to just do it itself. Right. Like, what's the fucking point of having government if it's not going to do those things for us? Right. You know that American thing about, like, don't raise taxes, give more donations to right. good causes? That's kind of the flip for a lot of times for Japanese people. It's like, well, I'm paying taxes. Fucking just go find out if all the dead people are there or not. We, you know what I mean? Like, We've said this in the we, past when we were talking about homelessness, uh, but, uh, you know, currently give money to uh, the nonprofits that are trying to solve homelessness. Give money to the homeless people because they got to eat. Right. Uh, but restructure society so that nonprofits don't have to exist. Is, right. There's uh, no reason the why this should be a non-government right? function. Right. Keeping people alive should be a, surely should be a government function. Um, same with a lot of things, right? And so, like, the Japanese society's general answer was, hey, government, why aren't you checking to see if the old people are alive or not? And then, and then raising a stink about that, and then forcing new new rules and regulations to come into that's right. sort of the preferred process here, which is a little bit different response than what we would expect right. in the United States. Right. Maybe you know, ten NPOs would pop up that but, go and check on elderly people. Yeah, honestly, here if, it's like if the why response, aren't you guys checking? If the response is a new government position pops up where it's somebody's job to go check on everyone, that's great. If the response were 
okay, we're going to organize so that uh, every community has a group of people who make sure they're checking on everybody every couple of days or so. Uh, that'd be a great response too, but the American well, they're response, both they're both reasonable. yeah. The American response is say no, we should just have a group of people who does that, and then never actually put together that group of people. So right, right, yeah, and and, and yeah, it's just different societies respond to those things yeah. a little bit differently, and 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 Japan, a, a mix of solutions have kind of come into being that are kind of a mix of all three of those. Yeah, you know, because it's like, well, we don't really like want to just have to like harangue them all the time either you know what i mean like nobody wants to bother them all the time either so it's a big it's a big thing but um you know i don't know it's it's just we kind of got a little bit off track there but yeah nobody nobody's checking on this guy because the whole point is that the society you're not in a position where society would care about you right and certainly the other people in the hole with you don't care about you. Right. Not deeply enough to come find you. It is a fascinating thing, though, when you think about the fact that he is fundamentally portrayed as somebody who's missing some of the connections that would actually go hunting for him. Right. Which is also important to keep in mind. He seems to be a person who has formed no deep personal connections. Because, like it or not, there's... Adam, there are people who would go hunting for you. Right. Right. And you know that, what I mean? That social if nothing else, you're on the phone with somebody who, if you suddenly stopped <laughs> talking right. to me weekly, would be very, very concerned. And I know there are people who are even in a better position right. in your life to do that. And I know that there are people who would come hunting for me. And so the issue is, to a certain extent, is that we have to create a certain sort of, a certain kind of special straw man to make this kind of story work within the context of the story, right? Like the story's not wrong. The, the movie's not wrong about the sort of nature of these holes and the fact that like, you know, the reality of the matter is it's actually a series of holes. So we're all in a, in a different hole altogether. Then we also go off to our other hole where maybe people don't care about us that much, but the other hole, some people in there, we've been in there so long together and we care about each other there that we actually would, you know, you know what I mean? Like, Metaphors can break yeah. down that way, right? But in order to make this movie work, this guy has to have formed no fundamental, deep personal relationships with anybody, right? And uh, and to that extent, um, you know the the part of the essay I've already, you know, that that last bit that I complained about, he has started to become involved with other people as he never has before. That is accurate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is less accurate, I think, to say that he only wants to share that scientific knowledge with with his newfound friends because he still doesn't view them as newfound friends, right? Right, and th- and that's actually I'm I'm deeply fascinated by the end of the movie because I was very invested in his in his pit mate, yeah, the the widow, I mean, who's unnamed, yeah. But I was very concerned about it, right? Like at the end, and I think that's in, I think that's on purpose. I think the movie is trying to make us feel concerned about her, right? Uh, he does seem concerned about her, but not. It's very hard to read how deeply he is. Like, would he go asking about her? Would he try to find her if she never comes back? Right. The movie doesn't really answer that question. But. Or- is this a means of him becoming the 
the new woman in the, the new sand. Woman. <laughs> yeah, now he's the man yeah. of the dunes, and he's alone now. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, would it's, he it's really would he reject that? Right. Um. Yeah. And, and because, like, you know, and and then if you start talking about the fact that, like, I mean, you know, there's a again that you can get very nihilistic with it very quickly. Like, oh, well, you just form deep relationships with the, whoever gets tossed in the hole with you. Right. Um. But it's hard to tell, right? Because then we start getting like we can't tell how deeply he cares. I mean, he does a little bit. I mean, he obviously does care some. It's just hard to tell how much. Um, and then if it it it, it proposes a, a universe where possibly this cycle it becomes kind of dis- divorced from reality in the sense that like I don't know that that cycle is that true to reality. Where like, oh well, now I'm going to become more deeply involved and uh, interested in whoever this new person tossed in the hole well, is with me that we're stuck down here for a long time with. That's another another aspect of this, is that at, at its heart, the whole, you know, they're like mice in a cage, right? They've been put together and maybe they reproduce together because they're, but they're not naturally finding uh, a mate or, or whatnot. And, and they're being, they're being fed from outside Right, they really are pets of an upper class. Right, even right, though the yeah. upper class here is not is not that much far above, farther above them, but they themselves are only working to eat. Right, and we've already talked about that right. and those those layers all, all the way up. They're mice in cage, and the the critique of that then is that when well, the society we've created, you have a choice of where you're going to work, right? And you can you can always go get another job or or freely associate. With, well, with yeah, outside of sort work. of. And right. that's right. you know that is that is an easy critique against the the uh, explicit message I think of this film, but it is not its own thing because it ignores it ignores the externalities of that of those decisions too, right? I'm not actually free to just go get any other job, right? Right. And, uh, and you know, like, I'm not well, free. I'm, I'm not free to just move to Seattle right now. I couldn't right. do that. Well, I don't have the money to do that. It takes, it takes money. It takes resources to get out of the situation you're in. Is right. What I mean and, to say. and, you know, we've, and that's what I guess his, his right. bucket with water in it is. Right. right. But like the funny, you know, we've talked about it before though. Right. Like even beyond that. Right. Like you're most importantly not free to not engage with the system, right? right Which means right. you're just fundamentally not free, right? You just right. aren't. Now, the constraints that are already put on you, which it, it depends on, like, I guess for me, like how big, how expansive the whole is in terms of what it's supposed to represent, right? Right. Because if it's just your job, then it's then the movie's not that accurate to what like real life experience is like. Whereas if it's your whole it's, life situation, well, yeah, it's not just your job. It's the city you live in and the situation you find yourself in is is part of that too, because you're you're forced into your lot in life and your class level and and you know uh, gender, race, and and sexuality play into this as well, and and disability. You. You exist in that, but it is the societal structures that keep you in that, right? Right. That that have created. Well, I, I... Go ahead. That have created the uh, the the method by which you are kept in place, uh, for uh, for worse by and large. Uh, now now you say you're you're not free to drop out of society, and the positive aspects that we've already that we've talked about too 
uh, would react negatively to someone dropping out of society. You know, if you if you have a structure of people checking on old people, and suddenly that old person just isn't there, but they're well, not I, there I, because right. they moved to a farm or went on vacation and forgot to tell anyone. I <laughs> um, I, you know. I meant more specifically right. in the in the in the sort of ca- critique of capitalism sense right, that right, like right, not right. dropping out of society, but like saying. Yeah. I'm not doing this. You're part not allowed anymore. to to not do this. Uh, you know that office space. Yeah, you don't is obviously get to a not big, do, a big yeah. <laughs> right uh, satire of that concept too, or, or engaging right. in that concept. Um, and, 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 like, but the, my my issue is not it's not a problem with the film. It's just the fact that like the whole changes scale and size based on what element you think about, right? Because right. he's in this hole with only this one other person, so it's very easy to imagine that whole very tightly with regards to like a very specific relationship that you end in but it's also very the hole's also meant to be your entire lot in life right right, right but right. it still only has the one person in it. it's it's just the issue with again with metaphors right that like they only work from certain angles when viewed from certain yeah. distances like yeah. because that's otherwise you're just writing all of reality again right this movie is it's a, not a metaphor anymore it's not yeah. a a telling of a a true story it is right. a parable about a truth right and, and and but by nature of having that whole sort of change shape and size depending on which angle it's viewed from it does make it more complicated to kind of get to the heart of the matter right just right. in the sense that like if it's about relationships like outside of work or something like that then like it's it becomes very hard to view it from that angle right because it's only just the one person that you got chucked in a hole with. Well, if you're, if that hole is your whole, you know, life situation, well, you got chucked in the hole with a lot of people in, in your life situation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a decent number of people in this hole with us, Adam is what I'm saying. But if it's <laughs> right. just about you and the fact that you can't connect with other people in an existential la- level, then yeah, it's an empty fucking hole that right. we all got chucked in individually. You know, it's right. Right. And that's you know maybe maybe where this movie starts to to lose some threads is the fact that this guy is so disconnected from society that no one comes looking for him. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's yeah. where it gets hard. Yeah. Because again, everybody you know probably has pretty much everybody you know has somebody who would go looking for them. Hopefully. at least a little bit. Yeah. And and that's a goal that ever that you you want for other people, right? Like when you imagine a world that is good. Is everybody having somebody who would go fucking look for them a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Um, one other thing uh, about this film: all all th- three of the films in this collection, uh, all of the music is done by Toru uh, Takamitsu, uh, who also did the scores for Harakiri, which we've watched, uh, Quite On, which we've watched, uh, right. Samurai Rebellion, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ron. Yeah, I mean yeah. he made he yeah. yeah. Busy person, right? Yeah. He's uh, he's all over. I mean the score's very good in yeah. this. Especially yeah. when we get into that drum scene is it's very oh, intense. Yeah. yeah. That is that scene is hard to watch. Not in like a bad like I you know yeah. it's just wow. The music just makes it even more intense than it would be otherwise. Yeah. And that's another thing that whole that whole scene, you know, where where the societal structures are forcing you to reproduce. Right. Uh, right. It's, yeah, it's just. Well, and even, it gets even weirder, right? Because it's forcing you to reproduce for their amusement, basically. Right. It's, <laughs> right. it's, 
it, it that that is a little bit harder to sort of metaphor out it, beyond just sort of a critique of like the way that people consume that sort of stuff as a as a sort of break from the monotony of yeah, this but nightmare. it's it's in their view. It's not necessarily for their entertainment. I think there's a purial interest that's that's displayed from some of the people talking about it, but. Uh, but mostly it's just to make sure they're actually doing it is why it needs to be done in public. View. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. And and that that but that could also be that that borders on getting into even maybe a more specific Japanese like traditional Japanese society critique because yeah, as somebody who has has been married for a while, when you don't have kids in Japan, Jesus fucking Christ, people will not leave you alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just stop asking. <laughs> it's not nice. People don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, Rumi had a lot to say about that. I'm um, sure. It's not a thing that comes up very often anymore. Right. You know, but You've like solved that back problem, in the day. But yes. Yeah. Back in the day, that was a thing that like she had a lot to say about because that's can be deeply upsetting for a lot of people to just be asked about that kind of thing. And that, I don't know how, I don't, I don't remember that being a thing done quite as much in modern american society i as, think it, it definitely exists i think you just yeah i just i just connected from that having not been yeah. having not yeah. been long single as an adult in, post college in, yeah. in america and yeah. then not not married without kids in america right. you are not experienced yeah i don't have a good sta- a footing yeah. to stand on in that uh i just know that what happened here and boy that'll and so in that sense yeah that lines up with the villagers sitting at the top trying to trying to force people to fuck basically yeah yeah <laughs> checks out i guess yeah. but it's also you know the the idea that the people living in the pit need to have a kid is a um <clears throat> is forcing the repetition of that cycle too right right because that Absolutely. kid's never going to leave the pit ever. well except for i mean yeah yes and no right because we don't ever know that the kid ever comes back to the pit right, either, uh, right? Uh, that's that's fair I mean, you're. I think you're right, but like, yeah. that's the general notion associated the, with it. But the I actually is, have no. I'm scared to death about what happens yeah. to the widow when she's taken out of that. They hole. only. I, t- it scares yeah. me. They only take her away because they fear she'll die in childbirth. Right. Right. So they take her away to guarantee the existence of the child. Is the idea. Right. Whether or not that means she survives, but. Right, um, I mean, this uh, the movie cuts off before we find right. out what happens, and that right. that's sort of what makes it upsetting. Yeah, and just you know, however much time has passed in what we're watching, uh, I don't think it's seven years yet. So, uh, to see that seven years has passed, um, and you know, the superimposition, we don't see her come back in the scenes that are happening underneath the superimposed police report, right. do we? So, no. you know, whether or not he's resolved to his fate because now he has a kid and he's really feels stuck there, uh, which is very true to life. <laughs> yeah. Or or because uh, they didn't come back and he's really stuck there Alone because again. he's yeah. had everything taken away from him, even even what little he felt like he had grabbed onto. Right. Except for maybe the water. Uh, <laughs> at least he's got the water now. 
at least he has well, but that's some what makes it worse right like comfort. now yeah right yeah you get into that that sort of thing right like well now i've even lost some of the things that were keeping me going so i right. have to grab on to even smaller and less meaningful and significant things just and that's just and that's where power. and that's where the freedom of choice critique comes in too it's right. like well you don't really have a broad choice right and that's, you know, so many people talking about universal health care in the U.S. now are saying, well, uh, unions fought hard for uh, for the health care they have or people really like their uh, employee provided health care. No one actually likes their employee provided well, health care. They been, have it because yeah, that's what's available to them. Uh, they like it because before the other option was nothing, nothing at all. Right. And, but also, uh, I I don't know. I feel like that's like that's the most disingenuous bullshit argument oh, I've ever heard. Like, if your choice is universal, which means everybody gets everything all the time, right? Or this one that's not that. <laughs> like, I have this brand new, fresh, delicious apple, or the slightly rotten one that you worked very hard to pick. Which one yes. would you like to eat? Is a very crazy question to ask people. Right. Right. Like I have no, yeah, I have no. Like, why, why, why would you? I mean, I get it. I understand it was hard work, but you know, I don't know. It's it that the the healthcare debate yeah. is just fucking wild. I it's right. the one of the most incomprehensible ones that. Yeah. Like I can see people not wanting to buy into my brand of socialism. Cool, I understand. <laughs> right. Uh, giving up all your property so that we can all just be ha- like be equal <laughs> seems hard. I understand it. Gotcha. Right. right. Um. <laughs> alternatively not having to worry about like how much money you're going to have to pay when you go to the doctor i don't see the downside for a normal person who's looking at this and going hmm which one should i choose <laughs> right right and i yeah and that's yeah and that is so much of what american capitalism calls the freedom of choice is a choice between things that aren't actually a choice right and it's not right. just it's not just healthcare. it's uh your cereal at at the grocery store uh or uh you know think of think of canned beans and what is the effect of 90 percent of them are made by the same company anyway with just different labels on them so yeah, different labels slapped right, on right, yeah. that's not actual choice either so you know uh you know when when uh when craft heinz or uh, Monsanto owns uh, 99% of your food production and, and distribution. Yeah, what is You're your not choice, actually right? choosing between things. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, it's... Get out of your holes. By yeah. what? How do we get I out mean, of I mean, really, I mean... <laughs> It, that's the problem, right? Is that right. like what we talked about before? Is this movie right. doesn't present a universe the same, where there's any yeah, way the same, to even start tearing apart the whole? The same, the same problem as the end of Pitfall. You've presented to us the problem. You haven't presented to us even the inklings of a solution, um, which does not make the movie bad by any means. I don't no, God, that. no, no, absolutely uh, not. It's just, it's just a thing. Yeah. Naming, that means naming that, the problem is the first step, right? Right, and and so, the reality of the matter is, is again, metaphors require. To a certain extent, a simplification of the problem, and there's yeah. just no way around that. And this, as as metaphors for this, for the sort of our universal social situation that we're all in, they're they're damn good metaphors. Yes, <laughs> they work real well. Yes, very effective. 
two thumbs up from Pat. <laughs> Good. In in metaphor land. Ah, <sighs> indeed. Well, Pat, I think we can draw this one to a close. Uh, next week, we'll, I mean, I guess so. Well, unless there's, <laughs> listen. No, I don't. I'm just, I just, I'm just being stupid. Yeah. Uh, next week we'll be continuing our three films from Hiroshi Teshigahara uh, with uh, the face of another from 1966. Uh, two years between each of these films: 62, 64, 66. Uh, this week we've been talking about Women in the Dunes, that middle one from 1964. Uh, so we look forward to that last one, uh, which neither Pat and I have watched yet. We watched the first two sort of together uh, for this recording session. Uh, so uh, so I look forward to seeing something uh, in this similar line, maybe. Um, yeah, I think it's safe to assume yeah. based on what we've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, then we'll watch the shorts. And then uh, in really actually surprisingly close uh, – Number 425, which I think is about uh, about 30 weeks out. Uh, before the end of the year, we will watch the final Teshigahara film in the Criterion Collection, uh, which is a documentary on the Italian architect Antonio Gotti. Uh, okay. Which is, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a and, bit of a departure from what we've seen so far. We've been but watching, okay. yeah, definitely. Uh, but made in 1984, so after after he left film and, and came back. So definitely a, a different thing. So I look forward to, at that point, finding out how having a real job for a while changed him. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this week it's been Women in the Dunes. So thank you once again for listening to Lost Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.